What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I swear I told you that we met on Grinder. They found out, um, the doctors found out that there that she had a very small hole in her heart. I was ready to be like, I think the universe, you know, God is telling us like, we're not supposed to be parents. Mm. So I actually have a question. When <gasps> this us? is our podcast, I, I know, I know, but I was like, I thought of a question. <laughs> oh my! Welcome to the Who's Your Daddy podcast, where we work to demystify the process of starting a family through non-traditional means. From foster to adoption to IVF and surrogacy, come along as we navigate this tricky space on our own journey to fatherhood. Together, we hope to gain insight and answer as many questions as we can. We are your hosts and husbands, Michael and Matt, and today we are going to talk to Brian from Brian and Chris. And yay, yay! Thank you for coming. I'm so glad to be here. Thank you for petting our dog. <laughs> Oh, she's so sweet. <laughs> I am so happy to have you as our first in-person guest here at the house slash um, makeshift studio. <laughs> <laughs> I feel so honored to be here for sure. And we're just so excited to dive in and talk to you about all things parenting. Um, first of all, I just want to like, okay, give us a little bit more background because we've talked quite a bit, but I still haven't gotten like the full story of who you are, where you're from, where you grew up and how you got to where you are today. So you were saying you grew up in Riverside? I, I did. Think? Riverside, California. The Inland Empire, the IE 909. <laughs> Ooh, and where do you live now? Um, San Diego, California. Well, I knew that. Sunny San Diego. Everyone to know. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> and so you grew up in Riverside um, and you're married to Chris. Yes. All right. Tell me a little bit about like how did you guys meet? Where did you meet? How did that whole thing go down? Um, so we met in 2011. Uh, We met online well before the Tinder swipe left, swipe right days. Um, And we met at an Italian restaurant. Wait, how do people meet without Tinder and the swiping? Um, (laughs) It's an app that kind of rhymes with Tinder. Oh, so it was still an app. Mm -hmm. Grinder? Grinder. Oh my God. I think that's what it's called. I swear I told you that we met on Grinder. No, I swear to God. Okay, so I'm pretty sure we were talking about this like two nights, last night maybe, two nights ago. And I thought you said you couldn't remember 
the grinder <laughs> the website that you guys met oh, on. Yes. I might have said that because I was just meeting some of your friends. I was like, they, do they need to know that we met on Grinder? Oh my god! Well, <laughs> oh, they do not care. That crowd. Yeah. I mean, they were talking about other things. Uh, we okay. usually leave with like we met on a dating app, and then we, we kind of leave it there. But if people like want to know, like, oh, which one? Then normally we'll we'll just farmers only. Yeah. <laughs> oh, <laughs> hot. <laughs> So you guys met for dinner. We did. We actually oh. talked for several months before we even met. Um, our schedules were, were just kind of completely opposite. And I had never really been to the San Diego area before. And um, Chris invited me out. We had dinner at this adorable Italian restaurant. And um, the first date did not go according to plan. It Wait, didn't go what? very well. And, no, it this was is news to a me. Ter- <laughs> it was a terrible date on my behalf. I won't go into the full scope, but... <gasps> Um, there was a lot of drama happening in my life and I don't think I was ac- actually ready to go out on a date, but I was told by several friends that I should try. Um, and there's just a lot of stuff going on and the date was not what most people expect or hope for a first date. <laughs> um, and luckily, um, Chris is a saint and gave me, um, a second chance and we went out on his birthday as our second date. Um, and that date went so much better <laughs> complete complete opposite of, of our first date <laughs> wow <laughs> dang okay so second chances that's good yeah second chances and then from there it was kind of the rest was history from there um he got to see the real me and we got to know each other we got married next week we got married the week after absolutely <laughs> <laughs> no we dated um for five years actually we actually got married on um the same day we met so we kind of kept our anniversary date which is oh. october 9th um oh. and used that same date uh, uh when we got married so five like years a later libra couple libra cancer yeah <laughs> no i mean like <laughs> your wedding oh, was oh. your wedding and your anniversary oh, yes. is october 9th when's yes. chris's birthday october 17th oh and mine's the 18th yeah uh-huh, uh-huh. like birthday <laughs> twins yeah so your surrogacy journey you captured and like shared everything through the whole process from beginning to end on TikTok and Instagram. How was that kind of like going through the process in such a public way? Well, can we do one thing right before that? How, when did the um, discussion of family come up? Let's like rewind a little bit before we start documenting it. Like, was it date one, date two that we started talking about? Definitely not date one. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I would say like, about a year into the relationship, we had the conversation about like whether we each of us wanted kids or not. Um, I've always wanted kids since I was really young. Just having that whole picture of you know the the house, the the picket fence, and the two and a half kids and the, the dog. American dream. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so did Chris. Um, but at the time, like both of us didn't really know what that would look like, you know, because um, gay marriage wasn't um, allowed yet. And you know, all what year is this? Just roughly. Two thousand eleven is when we. Well, that's when we met. So maybe two thousand twelve. I think. Oh, okay. Because gay marriage was approved in California 2015, I want to say. And then like a few years later, it was the rest of the country or I could be off. 2015 was the, yeah, approval Supreme Court Court decision for the whole country. For the whole country. And then, yeah, was it It 2011, 2013 for California? a few years before that. And actually both, both of them happened on my birthday. On June 26th, which was really, really No beautiful. way. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's kind of wonderful. Yeah, I loved it. It oh was great. God. Yeah, and that was before Chris and I got married. And so a year later, if it was 2015 for the Supreme Court for the entire country, we got married a year after that. And it was really, really neat. Wow. Um, I kind of felt honored to have my birthday share that those those uh, milestone dates, which is really cool. Yeah, how cool. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. 
Um, but yeah, we 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 had the discussion, and we both wanted kids. Um, but we didn't know what that looked like. Whether it would be through surrogacy, if it would be through adoption, um, foster foster care. Right. Um, and then we, you know, as the years progressed, we had more and more conversations about wanting to expand our bloodline and have you know kids that are biologically related to us. And so surrogacy was the decision. But we also didn't know, okay, what does that look like cost wise? You know, all that kind of stuff. And so we had to do a little bit of research and chat with people in the industry, friends. Um, that had done it before and we made the decision from there and you also started this process kind of like within the pandemic yes so as you mentioned earlier we met in march of 2020 in person at least and then we made the decision to start our surrogacy journey in june of that same year which was um kind of a tough decision to make because we were thinking like should we wait because everyone's telling us you're going to have so many delays it's going to cost more mm-hmm. and and at that time none of us knew how long the pandem- how long the pandemic would go right um and we're like are we willing to wait 1 2 3 plus years to to continue this or or to start this journey it's like it's like well if i start now and i have to wait longer why would it make sense to start later i'd have to just i'm just delaying the wait essentially mm-hmm. you know that's probably not the the point that would make me say yes or no it would be like is it smart like how long is this thing gonna last like is our is it still gonna be a huge issue is it still gonna be really really globally uh infectious you know Mm -hmm. like when our baby comes into the world and that uh is stressful no absolutely because there were discussions of like okay say we matched really fast and we got the whole all, all the preliminary procedures done early like would we even be able to be in the same hospital room as our totally. surrogate you know um and to to witness our our children being born that was a huge um deciding factor and even even then like there was everything a lot of stuff was still up in the air there, mm-hmm. there was a lot of uncertainty so that was um a little nerve-wracking but so back to your question of documenting everything sorry i just wanted to get a little bit <laughs> oh, yes so, yeah <laughs> yeah. So what was that process like? Um, I mean, it, a lot of it was really new to us. So we were kind of just, or I was kind of just, you know, sharing um, as the weeks went on and tried my best to, you know, document what we were going through, going, you know, going to all the different appointments and um, going through meeting, you know, matching with surrogates and interviewing surrogates, egg donors, and meeting our IVF doctors, all the lawyers that were involved. Like a lot of it was, um, again, brand new for us because we, we had never done it before. So we were kind of just doing it off of, you know, flying off the seat of our pants. <laughs> um, but luckily, the way we were documenting it, I think people really gravitated um, towards it. And I tried to make it, I guess, as educational as possible, because even to this day, a lot of people don't really understand the process of surrogacy and how it all right. happens. Um, so I, I feel like obviously we've we did something right. A lot of people have continued to follow our story even now after mm-hmm. our beautiful angels are born. Yeah. Um, but it was it was a learning experience. But I really loved um, being vulnerable and showing some of those emotional parts. Like I remember filming in um, our what is it the the doctor after after the embryos have been transferred. And um, she was pregnant. We were oh, her monitoring doctor. Sorry, um, we were at the monitoring doctor's office, and we were doing our fetal heartbeat um, checkup. It was the oh very God. first appointment to hear the fetal heartbeat, and I thought I had stopped recording um, my camera because I wanted that to kind of be an intimate moment for the first time. And I didn't hit the record button, and uh, or didn't stop recording. Um, and I was hugging Chris as we were hearing the heartbeat and you can hear it in the background and you can hear me like pretty much crying into the phone a little bit. Oh <laughs> um, and I wasn't sure if I wanted to share something like that, but at the same time, you know, 
so many other people accepted that and they really loved that they got to be a part of that really small intimate moment or actually not small very big intimate moment for us that we heard heartbeats from both of our beautiful babes um so yeah what was the feeling like when you first heard that um it's it's weird because you see you see the embryos on all the ultrasounds grow and grow and grow and you sort of think that you understand it and then the minute you hear that heartbeat it all changes it's like it's obviously it's always been a living thing but having that heartbeat attached to it just made it that much more real real yeah um and knowing that both of those beautiful little creatures were going to turn into our our babies it was Mm -hmm. just really really magical and beautiful at the same time i'm glad that you have that moment like even if you didn't share it that Mm -hmm. like you had it in your phone for you yeah you know Mm -hmm. and then like choosing to share it obviously is is you know totally your decision and i'm I'm glad that people resonated with it. That's yeah, so cool. I, I guess that is a big plus about wanting to share everything. Um, is that what, like you said, whether we decide to share every piece of of the journey or not, I have that documented in my phone via video or photos. You know, a lot of people don't do that, and they just have that memory in their brain. And over time, some of it might become a little faded, or they might not remember all the little details. And I'm so glad that we documented almost every aspect of the journey. It's like a digital scrapbook yes. of memories to look back ten really years cute. from now and to show them like. These are you oh guys. Look God. at your little heartbeat going on the ultrasound. It was beautiful. And they're going to be like, Dad, <laughs> yeah. so embarrassing. Oh, my God. You showed <laughs> you showed us you know, what we looked like back then. I'm like, yeah, of course. So when were the babes bur- born? When were um, they born? When were they burped? When were they burped? When they first burped. When oh. were they born? <laughs> they were born on March 9th, 2022. Yes. So it was about like a year and a half. After you started surrogacy, from the very beginning, it was a um, to the time that they were born. Almost it was 20, 21 months. Twenty one months. Yeah. yeah, that's like pretty like right on par. I would say. Right? Yeah, definitely. They say like eighteen to twenty four. Eighteen months. to twenty. Yeah, eighteen to twenty four. It felt longer, I think, because we had a lot of setbacks and redos. I know we were talking about that the other day. Um, what setbacks but, and redos? Um, so <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, of course. Um, our first set of setbacks was um, our, with our egg donor. Um, we had matched with a, a gal um, that we saw her profile um, that our agency had set up with us. We um, had a, you know, a, an interview, if you will, with her, and she was great. Kind of checked all the boxes, family health history. She's had successful transfers, um, but then by the time she got to um, the screening with our IVF doctor, because once you match, they go through like a psych. Uh, a, a, a psych evaluation. They get checked out by the IVF doctor to make sure everything is good to go. And he saw her file. And even though she did have successful transfers, she had done several, I would say at least seven or eight, which is quite <gasps> high. Whoa. So she started very young, um, which is fine. I mean, that that's when I guess, you know, uh, eggs are most fertile and you have better chances mm-hmm. as, as, as you're younger. But um, he noticed the numbers started going down and he was nervous that you know this could be her eighth or ninth transfer for us would she produce a healthy number of eggs um and he recommended that we um not go in that direction with her and we trusted him um and we were a little sad because obviously we had met her you know via the zoom interview if you will um, right, right and she was very sweet but we wanted to make sure that we had our best chances moving was, forward was that um a strange request, like when we were, and this is like the seventh time I've probably said this, but when we were looking for egg donors, we were like, 
are we just supposed to pick? Like, do we get to talk to them? And they're like, well, they don't use, you don't usually talk yeah. to them, but I guess we can ask. And then they did. And we did like two zoom interviews and the second one was just sort of like, it just felt right. Yeah. But was that like a thing that you had to request or was it like, um, the, the agency offered it, they, but they did say, yeah, most people don't interview the egg donors, but if you want and they're open to it, you certainly can. We didn't surprisingly, when we unmatched with our first and we matched with our second, we, we never actually talked to her. Um, I think we wanted to, cause we were kind of like disappointed that the first one didn't work out and, and didn't we got become like super attached, attached. attached exactly. Guess, yeah. yeah. And, um, so we just looked at her profile, and obviously we, we asked for certain criteria. We wanted her, based off of the recommendation of our IVF doctor, under 25. We wanted her to be local, just to help with costs with travel and things like that, um, and preferably um, a lower number of transfers. And the the gal that we matched with, she had only done it once before. Um, and then after, after once we confirmed our second egg donor, um, we started the process of matching, uh, or interviewing and matching with a surrogate. Which I um, feel like is like one of the hardest parts. It, like, is, it is. I think egg, like picking your egg donor was, for us, was just tricky because you're like, oh my God, this is like the mother portion of the mm-hmm. genetics of our child. Mm-hmm. Um, but we're in the surrogate like looking stage right now. And the, like that person, it's like, oh my gosh, like where do they live? What do they eat? Like, where, like how, what is their work life? Like, how are they in a high stress job? Or I don't know. I feel like that there's just so many things to consider. Absolutely. Right. Yeah. I mean, and you can, and you really only get as much information as the agency provides you on their profile. And then obviously from the interview that you, that you do via zoom um, and you hope that they're upfront and honest and you ask all the questions that you want to ask um, to make that decision to say, Hey, will you, carry and protect our little ones over the next nine months yeah huge decision um and we got really lucky in the beginning we we matched with the our first surrogate right away um she just seemed so perfect on paper two pieces in a pod her and i we got we got along really really well really well and through the the process of okay after matching the psych evaluation getting checked out they found out um the doctors found out that there that she had a very small hole in her heart and um oh my god she didn't even know that she had that she's like what like that doesn't that's weird like i i didn't even know that like are you sure that's accurate they did um a second screening and they said yeah to confirm like you do in fact have one and our echocardiogram kind of thing Mm -hmm. um and and it took um several months to to process and to get the results because it was over the holidays and so and, and obviously with covid there were a lot of delays and um shortages with with staff and whatnot um but our ivf doctor said i will not implant your precious embryos into this woman i am so sorry that you have grown attached to her because the whole process that we met her to the time that we had to to stop was about five months like we got to know her really really well oh wow because the process took a while like to get the psych evaluation took say a few weeks and then to get in with the doctor and to get checked out and then once they found the hole in her heart that whole process took i think two months long because they had to do it twice. Yes. And um, it was kind of devastating because we were like, she's. we felt in our hearts that she was going to be our surrogate. And to know that our IVF doctor said, I will not touch her. The fact that she has this condition, it can ca- it's a higher level of stroke for her. It can put her and the babies in danger. She's like, he's like, I won't. I won't do that. And it, we knew right away that that was the right decision, but it was just so hard to have to say, 
we want you to be we want you to be healthy and safe. You know, maybe this is like a a way of uh, of the universe telling her like get this checked out, keep it monitor, keep it mo- keep monitoring the situation just because she has a son herself. You know, right. um, and so maybe it was that positive like now you know you have this, make sure you monitor it. Um, and then we, I think we got back on the back wa- wa- bandwagon <laughs> for our second surrogate um, about a month later. Um, we waited until after the holidays. A lot of things were closed. And we were kind of guarded because we had already, like, again, created that bond. You matched with an egg donor and you, like, created this beautiful connection and then it didn't work out. And then you met a surrogate for five months and you were, like, so ready and then it didn't work out. I can, like, totally see why you were, like, like, get your hopes up and then it just, like, completely comes down again. A little, you know, defeated. You're, like, how much time do I need to like just recover from the fact that like my dreams feel like they've been like squashed yeah. down a little bit. Super guarded. And so Chris and I, cause I don't think I said this in the beginning, we really wanted to find a surrogate and match with a surrogate that wasn't just a business transaction. We wanted to find someone that we would bond with, create a friendship with, mm-hmm. um, potentially have her remain in our lives post babies um, just to, you know, stay in touch and have her meet them and watch them grow up. Um, so when we had to search for our second a lot of that changed. I, I I was really hurt from just what had happened. And I'm like, I, I don't know if I'm, if I feel the same way. Maybe we do want something a little bit more separate and not as so close. Um, and so we found um, our second surrogate. We interviewed her. And I remember right after we were done um, and we signed off, I was like, she's fine. Like, I think she'll, she'll do. And it kind of was weird to say that rather than be like, she's the one for us, you know, mm, like she yeah. lives somewhat locally. Um, some of the qualifications to be a surrogate too, you have to have had children of your own successful pregnancies, no, no high risk, nothing like that, and still be raising your children. Um, and she was doing that. And um, we went ahead with the green light and let, and we said, let's do it. And so again, psych evaluations, getting checked out with the IVF doctor and all of that went great. And then right as she was receiving her first round of hormones to kind of get her body ready for the transfer, she emailed our surrogate emailed us and copied our IVF doctor and our surrogacy agency. And she said, I am so sorry. We can no longer proceed forward with their journey. I'm pregnant. <laughs> no, 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 yeah. no, 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 yeah. no. Yeah. Um, and that was something that we weren't expecting at all. Like obviously with, yeah, the- you'd think if you like signed up, well, you know, Things happen. Yeah, things happen. Things happen. I mean, and there's they're 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 supposed to be very 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 careful and and follows a lot of guidelines. They're trained on like all of this is super important. You must follow all these regimens. We don't know specifically exactly how she got pregnant. We think. I mean, changing yeah, over. Congratulations to her. Yeah, but exactly. Like timing. <laughs> yeah, the timing. I mean, she had even said that they didn't want they didn't want more children. They were oh, her. Right. It, it was definitely not planned. So we were kind of thinking this is our own like, you know, idea. She was on her current birth control. Um, when you start the process to be a surrogate, you you are given new birth control from, you know, from through from from the agency from the IVF doctor because everything is like a certain type that they use all the hormones. And I don't and we think maybe she, she and her husband didn't wait that period of when you switch over from one birth control to another. Um, with if it's unprotected sex, it it doesn't like change right that right there and there. Mm-hmm. I think it's like actually a few weeks. I think. To, to to get it back on track. So we were thinking maybe that's what it was. But again, that was really devastating. And I think that's when I hit my my bottom. I 
I was ready to be like, I think the universe, you know, God is telling us like, we're not supposed to be parents. Um, and that really broke my heart yeah. because we, we were, we wanted, we wanted our own family so, so, so bad. And we were going through all of these hurdles. And now for a second time, we've lost our circuit. And this is two and a half, three months after we had lost our first. So that more, more time had gone by, more money had gone by. And I had told Chris, I was like, I don't think I can do this again. If we go back for a third time and we get something else happens, um, in addition to the expenses and the finances that go through it, I, I don't know how we're going to come out of it and how I'm going to deal with it, you know, moving forward. And after, after losing our, our second surrogate, we, um, I think we, I, we took a longer break than the first, I think it was about six weeks. Mm -hmm. And then obviously after having the conversations with Chris and he kind of brought my spirits back up, um, we were ready to, to try again. And our agency was so lovely. The CEO of the agency got involved and she's like, I just have to let you guys know, like, yes, every surrogacy journey is different, it never goes perfect, but the fact that you guys have lost, have had to go through two egg donors, and now you're on your third surrogate, that is not normal. And we're so sorry that you've had to go through it. I mean, obviously it wasn't their fault, but they felt responsible to try and, and help make it right. So, like I said, with the timelines of trying to get a th to, to find a surrogate and to match, and then to go through the whole process of psych evaluations and tests, they really pushed in um, getting those appointments a lot faster mm -hmm. rather than say, Oh, your, your psych appointment, her psych appointment's not until 30 days. They got it within like three days. It was like, so they, they were able to cut off a lot of the time, but we, um, we, they actually gave us, um, the profile of our third surrogate. And I felt really good about it. Almost the same feelings to almost at the same point where I had the same feelings with our first surrogate. I was like, this is weird. I don't really mm -hmm. want these feelings again, but I'm feeling really, really positive and excited to, from, from her profile. Um, She's a, a four foot 11 <laughs> um, Asian woman. And she, I, I won't say her name just for confidentiality, but she was so sweet. She has two boys of her own. They are um, loving husband. They lived um, or live in the Los Angeles area. So not far from where we're at. Oh, wonderful. Um, and she had done surrogacy um, once before. So it's technically for, at least from our agency's um, perspective, she was called a uh, proven surrogate. Um, which oh, means a proven surrogate. A proven okay. surrogate, which means that she's not a first-timer. The first two that we had, those were first-time surrogates. She had done it once before, so she's considered a proven surrogate, which means that she's been through the process. Um, she knows all the ins and outs, the risks, um, all the, the right things that she's supposed to do, all the things that she's not supposed to do, um, which in turn, she costs... You know, it costs a little bit more, but you you pay for that, I guess, security and, and that, that experience. Um, and I knew the moment we got off the Zoom call with her, I was like, she's it. And normally oh. we don't make a decision that fast. You're not supposed to make a decision that fast. You're supposed to think about it, sit on it, whatever. We immediately called the CEO and we're like, we want her. Like if she's willing to, to carry, continue to, to want to carry twins for um, a gay couple, which she specifically asked for. She's like, this is my last journey. I'm going to be 40 next year. I would love to carry um, babies for, for a gay couple or for a, a couple within the LGBTQ community. Was her age ever a concern for them? Um, I wasn't we, sure. I, we haven't really, I guess, talked to our people about like, you know, is is upper 30s like a no-go or is it just sort of like a, a hey, maybe this is a higher risk or it's, like... It's definitely not a no-go, but I yeah. think a lot of doctors will recommend someone who is younger mm -hmm. um, just because there could be potentially more complications with someone who but is older. Phenomenally. Yeah. She, so. <laughs> she carried... <laughs> 
she carried those little nuggets all the way to um, almost full term, 37 That's weeks. like incredible. Yeah. It was really funny because our uh, her OBGYN had said, you know, sh- due to her frame, due to carrying twins and the risks, she's not going to go past 37 weeks just for safety. We're like, okay, great. Like, fine. That sounds great. Then she's pick a date with the, within this time frame. And we chose the 9th because that was also like from our anniversary, October 9th. So we're like, let's do March 9th just with that connection. But who's to say that they were going to come on the 9th? They could have come on sure. the 2nd, the 1st, whatever. Nope. She, she cooked those babies, kept them nice and safe in her until that very day, which was pretty phenomenal. That's just amazing. And they were like... Like six plus pounds each. Yeah. Right? Brecken, uh, my son, our son's name is Brecken. Brecken um, was seven pounds, eight ounces, which wow. is pretty large. Bigger um, than for my twins. For a twin. But bigger than like half of my siblings' mm-hmm. singletons. Singletons could be like are sometimes less than that. Yeah. I think I, I, when I was born, I think I was just right at eight pounds. So for my son to be seven pounds, eight ounces, to share a room, a room with his sister in London was <laughs> pretty remarkable. And, and then. A, and a woman who is. A frame of four, four eleven, eleven, which they technically say doesn't matter, but also I'm like, mm, I think it kind of does. She's she was so petite, and I'm like an all belly, obviously. By the time the babies were ready to come, um, and <laughs> she's you know so what, adorable. I my mom is probably that height. Really, and had eight kids, and I was nine pounds nine ounces. <laughs> Your mom is just oh my god. the the team of doctors and nurses i'm getting emotional oh my god i haven't talked about this in a while um the team of doctors at our hospital were just phenomenal and they gave us all the different tips and tricks and pointers uh, uh, uh to new parents to new dads of changing a diaper i had changed plenty of diapers with my niece and nephew um my sister's kids um, back in the day, but Chris had never changed a diaper oh, in really? his life. And she was like, get ready. <laughs> You're going to be changing hundreds, if not thousands of diapers, you know, yeah. through their lifetime. Um, and they just were just so wonderful and, and um, were almost like a second set of like parents to us when we were there, like mm-hmm. making sure that, you know, when we were, the way we were holding them skin to skin, um, obviously the diaper changes, feeding them, you know, in the hospital. Cause the, the babes were there. We were there for two nights post, um, post delivery, um, which was actually shorter than we expected. Um, but. And what was it like bringing them home? Like, what was that adjustment like for both of you going from zero kids to now having two newborns at the house? It was it, it's weird. It's it, it obviously prior to kids, we our home, you know, was was designed and and decorated the way we wanted it to. It was definitely not kid friendly, so there was a lot of prep to to make it that way prior to bringing them home. But once we brought them home, it just felt like everything just fit. Everything just fell into place, and it's like almost like the house was like that the whole time, even before we brought them home, which was so weird. It just felt so right, um, and we had. Um, decorated their nursery well in advance and my dad had helped me with that too which was really really sweet and it just felt it just felt so perfect and um you know obviously having now having two very small infants in your home and your schedule and and everything is turned upside down but you just you'd go with it and um it was definitely a learning experience but what things changed with your schedule and like how how did you handle it? You know, <laughs> like going from basically zero to a hundred yeah. all at once. The biggest change is sleep. Uh, you you really don't get sleep when when you have newborns in your home, especially and with two. Are you on the um, 
the the wagon of like sleep when they sleep or is that just like a silly phrase that people say and you're like it's not possible um they have other things to do when they're sleeping in our specific situation um we definitely really i mean when they were super 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 little like infants newborns um we were able to sleep on and off a little bit because their schedule is pretty much just eat and sleep eat and sleep so you try to sleep when you can especially in the middle of the night um but during the day no like even though you are exhausted that's the time to try and take care of other things um, as best you can. But sleep was our biggest um, hurdle because you're so used to having seven, eight hours of sleep usually, some, some or, or maybe less depending on your schedule. And to go from that, that routine, that norm, to having to feed your babies every two, two and a half hours from the start of feeding them. So essentially say you feed them at midnight, uh, and you would think it would it, uh, the feeding process would be pretty fast, and it's not. It's like from noon. I'm sorry, not noon. It would be from like midnight to like 12:45 because they they drink so slowly. They don't drink super super fast. Mm. Um, and then once they're done, then you have you want to try and burp them. You change them. You wrap them back up in, in their swaddles. I'm getting overwhelmed listening to you. <laughs> <laughs> um, and by that point, sorry. it's about you know 1:15 by that point potentially. So then you're like, okay. It's been an hour and 15 minutes. We have maybe another hour before we have to wake back up. So how much sleep up. do you think you were like actually getting? Oh, in the beginning, because Chris and I both would wake up together to do it. Granted, if we only had one, I think we would have taken turns. Right. Um, but with two, we both woke up in the beginning. Uh, maybe a couple hours of sleep. A night? Because mm-hmm. um, the feedings are so close to one another, it, it would be very, um, oh it was God. very difficult. Were you napping during the day at all? Or was it just like... Sometimes, but mm. but but really but really not. I think... For the most part, running on two hours a night, that mm-hmm. just seems like, how long can you do that before your body gives out? In the beginning, it actually seems pretty easy because you're just so excited. It's, running on it, adrenaline. Mm-hmm. And, and you, you have these new beautiful beans in your home and all you want to do is just stare at them when they're sleeping or you want to hold them while they're sleeping on you or if they're in their bassinet or or whatever um, you have and um, that lasts maybe a couple months and then after about eight to ten weeks you're in that zone and mode of like i zombie yes you're you're exhausted um (laughs) and but luckily as they get older um, based off of the recommendations of your pediatrician, the feedings can be stretched out a little longer as they're getting older, as they're gaining weight. Sure. Um, so that allows for a little bit more leeway in between. Um, I'm really trying to remember because it seems so long ago. And obviously those first few months, it's, it's just like a beautiful blur. <laughs> were, there, were there ever nights where just one of you like got up to try and feed both of them in the middle of the night? Because like... Eventually we got to that. So I think... How's that see, Chris was here because his, his memory is like... Like I think it's his memories very much like your guys's. It's very like on point. Um, I you wanna... don't remember very many things no. when you don't get sleep. <laughs> yeah. Truly, you, you know, know exactly. It's hard, it's hard for your brain to build yeah. memory. It's hard to it's hard to function. Sleep. And every day is. I I used to say to our family and friends, I was like, it's like Groundhog Day. It's the same thing every single day, and um, and it's a repeat. There's not really a lot of different change. Um, it's same regimen every every day. But I think when they got to. Mm, maybe four months, um, we were able to let them sleep a little longer. And then as they got older, we were eventually able to remove the middle of the night feeding. But that was like later. I want to say maybe six months at that point. But since Chris was um, 
full t- working full time, running his company, and I was the stay at home parent and the stay at home parent. Uh, we made an arrangement to where if he wanted to go to bed earlier, I would handle the the feedings from like eight to maybe like one one thirty in the morning, and then the next feeding when they would sleep longer would be like three thirty and on. Um, and he, with running his business, he's very stressed stressed out a lot of the time, and he doesn't get that great of sleep anyway. Mm-hmm. So he's like, "There's a fifty fifty chance that I could be up at three thirty even prior to baby." So he's like, "I'll take that shift so you can sleep from like three thirty to like." seven potentially um before i go to work and then you have them the rest of the day so was sleep the most difficult adjustment to make or what was like the biggest challenge for you and chris um sleep definitely is up was up there um i think selfishly i i mean and you don't mean to be selfish but even though you we've been planning to to expand our family and it, it took 21 months. You're so used to your routine of what you love to be able to travel, to be able to go out to dinner whenever you want to be able to, I mean, it's a big change. Yeah. yeah do all sorts of things to be able to halt that pretty much. And, and most, if not all your focus is on taking care of those little miracles. It it's, it was hard. Um, you adjust to it, obviously, for sure. Um, and it does become your new norm and, and you accept it and, and, and become, super super excited and happy to do that but that was a little difficult in the beginning because again it, it's even though you've been prepping for it and you and you've gone to all the appointments and they were born in the hospital and you bring them home all that reality just sets in immediately and you're like oh shit along with those challenges were there things that came up that you just did not expect that you're like oh my god i cannot believe that this is something that i have to deal with now as a dad something you didn't think about before that you're like oh this is this is part of life now um i think from Chris would totally agree. I'm a big control freak. I would like to control a lot of situations to make sure that it goes. Ex- Me too. <laughs> oh, we can relate on that. <laughs> to to make sure everything goes exactly how you want it to be. Yes. And with kids, babies, newborns, it it's all that's thrown out the window. I'd like to challenge that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think I think some stuff. Uh, I think some things I'm still able to control. Luckily, because the babes have adapted to it and actually have thrived on it, like our routine. The routine is my is the control that I still have to this day, and they love the routine that we have in place. Oh, that's fantastic! Yeah, I, I a lot of people are saying, "Oh, you're not going to be able to get babies on a routine. They're their own people. They're going to do what they want," which is true. But also, I've also been we've been told that babies do thrive on a routine, but you have to make sure that if you instill a routine, that you keep with it. Yeah, how um, did you instill that and keep with it? Um, really, just kind of remembering to to stay on schedule um and who helped you build the schedule i guess like was that just something innate that you were like oh we're gonna wake up at this point and this is what we're gonna eat and this is or like were you reading things were you oh yeah we definitely read some books some parenting books um we had a lot of oh shit (laughs) Um, not to put you on the spot in the description i actually would like to know because i need to start reading there's a book that chris chris did most of the reading um it's a. It was actually a parenting book, more from a father's perspective, um, which was really cool because most of the parenting books are all from the mom's or the mother's perspective, um, and the dads are kind of like you know pushed off to the side because they the, the stigma is that you know dads aren't as present or they don't help. In our case, we're both dads, um, and so it was kind of um, nice and refreshing to to see their their side of things and and their ways of handling and and learning on their own and having um, wives that let them 
make their not I wouldn't say make mistakes, but let them try things their way rather than being told it must be done this way. Um, and some things worked for us and, and some things didn't. Um, and I would also say we had the help of our pediatrician. I, I cannot stress enough if you can if you find yourself an amazing pediatrician that is um, supportive of obviously you having having your own family but wanting the best for for your kids, which hopefully all pediatricians want that because that's their job. Mm-hmm. Um, but you can tell there's like a little bit of a difference. There's a little bit more personable, you know, connection. Okay, so I, yeah, I haven't heard that before. How important the pediatrician is, yeah, and kind of like that early. You assume that they're there for you know the medical. Yeah. Right. And, and, and they are there for that and they'll recommend, but like, you know, we, we've definitely had off the record conversations with her because she, she's a, mo- a mom uh, herself and obviously professionally she has to be careful in what she says to us. She's like, you know, okay. don't quote me on this X, Y, Z. Off the record. Yeah. But I mean, you can tell that she truly, truly cared. It wasn't just like, oh, you're just another patient of mine. Like she... Brecken and London light up every time they see her when we go to an appointment and it's... I can imagine what a difference that makes just in the adjustment at the beginning stages yeah. of parenthood. Because a lot of times when you go to the doctor, like, they're just, oh, you're my next patient. What's wrong with you? What can we do? And she was, she's, to this day, she's still very, very personal um, and so sweet to the kids. She brings them books every time we come in, like little like what? children's, like Dr. Seuss or um, Sandra Boynton books, which, which the twins love. Um, she's just she's just sweet. She just goes that ex- little extra mile, and I think we really, really lucked out with her. I'm not saying everything she tells us that she recommends that we do, because obviously there are kids and there are family, and, and we'll do what we think is best, but we definitely lean and look to her for advice when, when, when needed. Um, and also, obviously, from from our parents and, and from other friends and family members who have had their own kids. But at the end of the day, every parent is going to do what they think is best. Um, and you hope that that is the best choice going in as a new parent because you're, you're, you know, it's a learning curve. So was that the biggest challenge that came up kind of like in these in these early months? Or was there something else like what for you sticks out um, raising your kids through this first year that was like, man, this is really hard and I did not expect to feel this way or... Which is another thing is the whole formula thing. That was also pretty scary. Oh, yeah. The, fo- you guys, the formula shortage. Oh, you guys are like newborns right when all mm-hmm. that... Yeah. Oh, my god. Yeah, they were f- three or four months old when the whole thing happened with Similac with the contamination oh. and then... All of that was pulled and then everyone flocked to all the other brands and everything was gone. And it was and and in some cases for some families, you have babies that can thrive and adapt to any formula and they're mm-hmm. fine. Unfortunately with Brecken and London, they've had a lot of sensitivity issues with their with their tummies. So we had to find one that they wouldn't spit up, throw up, whatever. Um, and fortunately that that one was very, very hard to find. We were um, using Enfamil Gentilese. That was like the one that we found that was working the absolute best, that they enjoyed, that they would finish. Um, obviously, normal spit up is fine, but there was no screaming and gas pains and and, and vomiting mm. and things like that because that can happen for some um, babies out there who do have sensitive um, digestion issues. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. That yeah. had to have been so stressful. A, a lot of people were saying, well, we'll, well, what about breast milk? And we did look into... Um, like you breast know, milk banks or breast, something? Uh, people donating breast milk, but yeah. um, all of the people that were willing to donate to us, it, it wasn't through a bank. And so I was very cautious on like, well, the milk's not screened. I'm sure the milk is probably fine. They have kids of their own. They've donated it to other, you know, other parents. I, I just, both of us didn't feel comfortable, you know, purchasing or, or taking milk from someone that the milk wasn't specifically screened, you mm, know, just, sure. just to make sure if there's any potential issues, like we, we don't know what they're eating, if they're drinking, you know, things like that. You would assume 
you know, people who are donating milk are doing everything that they can to have it be as perfect right. as possible. But at the end of the day, it just didn't work out. Um, and unfortunately, our surrogate was unable to produce because we were relying on her to do um, breast milk. She was going to pump and, and we had the whole service, the breast milk service of like the box was shipped to her. She had all the bags. She would freeze the milk, send it to us, all that. And when she got to the hospital and, and the babies were born, she she had tried and she's like, I'm I'm not producing. I'm not able to pump anything mm. out. I don't think this is going to work. And we were kind of like, okay, no problem. You know, like we were like, we'll just do formula. But that was also prior to <laughs> the formula shortage. So miraculously, now that they're on whole milk, when I, every time I go to Target or the grocery store and I see <laughs> formula, it's just fully stocked Full on shelves. the shelves. And I'm like, really? Like they just stopped formula a month ago and now everything is, everything's you know, fine. everything's... Wow. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Yeah. So you have three week olds at home and Chris is going back to work. Mm-hmm. How do you like take care of your mind and mental capacity and health? And like, what does that look like? I mean, it's almost seems impossible. <laughs> yeah. I think in the beginning I didn't just because yeah. you, you're, you're buried, you know, it's, it's a new situation that you're in that you put yourself in on purpose because you wanted it you know and you wanted it more than anything but there are a lot of things that came up that you you didn't expect and and to be honest i did have help i had my mom come out for the first not like after the after they were about oh two weeks old she came for like six weeks to help just because you know the extra help was was certainly needed with with two kids um i think if we had one it probably wouldn't have been as as necessary but with two it's you're kind of just like holy smokes, like I want to, obviously yeah. I want to do the best that I can do. And we have these things in place and, and this is what we're told to do, but it's still, you know, every day is different. One day it could be super easy and smooth and other days, you know, um, Brecken or London could be super, super sensitive and fussy and there's nothing that calms them down. Luckily we really didn't have that happen too often. Being held really, really helped because that brings them comfort and that security. Um, I am really glad we're talking about this because it is an area that I have thought a lot about with this whole emotional mental health change mm -hmm. um, when when having kids. Because I, I am somebody who I have generalized anxiety disorder. I've struggled with depression quite a bit in my past. Um, Michael and I both go to counseling and I think therapy is like super important for anybody absolutely um, absolutely everybody on earth needs to go to therapy but also especially for um couples Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) couples therapy is great and also for people who want to be or who are parents to be able to talk through things and have like a sounding board Mm -hmm. and to get that additional support from somebody outside the house um so i'm just wondering like 
how did you process through this mental health journey? The thing that I heard, I was told the most by our therapist, friends, family is just give yourself some grace Mm. um, and take it one day at a time. Mm -hmm. Um, Even though all the days are blending together and you don't remember what you had for lunch two days ago, because you probably not, you probably didn't even have lunch (laughs) because you're, you're so busy with the babes um, is really just to take it one day at a time and just, you know that you're a good parent. You know that you're doing the very best that you can. And 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 that's okay. Like, it, you, it, you don't have to follow certain guidelines or regimens to, to match what someone else is doing because you think that they're doing it better. Like, it, it's your own journey. Um, and just really, like I said, give yourself some grace and just tell your, you have to remind yourself, like, I am doing the best that I can. Mm-hmm. doesn't mean that you don't need help. doesn't mean that you, you shouldn't accept help by any means, but... To not be so down on yourself, like and and I'm and for me, like being honest, like I never really experienced anxiety. I had never really been depressed in my life. I've always just been happy. I don't know. Just I just I've been able just, to see the positivity. Yeah, I've just never like, really situations. had that. But then when they were month plus, I, the strongest was I think from like um maybe like a month and a half to that three to four month marker. That's when a lot of those feelings that I'd never experienced before come through with anxiety, with depression. And I'm like, what the fuck is this? Like, I, yeah. I've never, and I had talked to so many um, of our like mom friends and dad friends and like, and they said, no, like that's, that's normal. Like you're going through so many changes, even though that change is like the best thing in your life and you're so much in love with it, it still comes with so many things that you don't expect to experience. I'm not saying everyone goes through it, but yeah. But for me, like, it was a big game changer. I think something important to just note that I, I keep hear, hearing you say that we haven't really paid, I, I mean, we haven't acknowledged, but you kept telling people and talking about it with people mm-hmm. about how you're feeling. Yes. And I think that is one of the biggest things with anybody who's feeling or who, who is depressed or, mm-hmm. or, or has anxiety to talk about it with other people because otherwise, I don't know being alone in that is is the worst place that you can be absolutely um a lot of times i just want to clam up and not tell anyone anything but for for you when you're experiencing those things with that shame and guilt did you feel like should i be sharing this with other people Mm -hmm. um should i be keeping this to myself is this am i just weak do i need to get through this like what Mm -hmm. what were you thinking um, all, all, all of those things i my biggest fear which obviously now looking back at it like who gives a crap but um what will people think when I share that I'm struggling today, mm. when this is what we wanted, we chose to have children. You wanted this. Why are you complaining? Like we got yeah. a lot of that. And, 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 and granted, yes, there were so many people who came to our defense and were like, like give them some grace. Like they're new parents. Like, yeah, they wanted this, but it doesn't mean that it was, it's everything is supposed to be mm-hmm. hunky dory. <laughs> hunky dory. Um, <laughs> Kathy Hilton. Love you. No. Um, just, that that was that was a struggle but then again after more time went on i just started you know not paying attention to that negativity because you can't you your your focus that you want is to be on them even if you are struggling with mental health and with those issues you can't listen to that outside trash and the the trolls because it's it's just it's not going to do you any good Mm -hmm. um and luckily like chris was again just 
that person that I could when he could when he could when he came home I could cry on his shoulder if I needed to while the babies were napping or if he's like you need you need several minutes <laughs> the babies are crying the minute he walks through the door he's like I got this go what you need to do and take take whatever time you need and then come back down when you when you reset and I would say nine times out of ten that that really helped um, but at the same time therapy definitely is um, something that I would recommend, especially if you do struggle with anxiety, depression, et cetera, just because it's someone from the out. It's, it's not within your circle. It's someone mm-hmm. that is, um, it's not your husband or wife. It's not your parent. Cause it, sometimes that can come across as like, they're telling you what to do, right. you know? And this person's coming from a, a place that's like, they're separate. They're, they're, they're out of that circle that you have. Um, and their, their job is to obviously help guide um, and, and to help, Better. And just be a sounding board to help process thoughts, feelings, yeah. emotions. A listener. That, that's mm-hmm. a, yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, for you to just blab and just speak all of your emotions at once and they're there to just listen. Because sometimes you don't even need them to respond. Sometimes it's just, can you listen yeah. to me? These, these are my feelings. You don't need to try and fix the situation, but this is this is what I'm feeling right now. When you, you know? So you were sharing with friends, family, your therapist about like, you're like, oh my gosh, why am I feeling this way like I feel so sad but I have like everything that I've ever wanted right in these in these two kids and a husband and um but and then you decided uh, ultimately you were like I would like to share this with the world right and Mm -hmm. you you had a a post about um postpartum depression but from like a male perspective right like Mm -hmm. not as the person who you know carried the the children and gave birth to them but you know, from the perspective of just like a parent in general. Mm-hmm. And I think that confused some people, um, right? And you were saying that there was, well, in the conversation that we had kind of before this, um, people were like, you don't deserve to have that, or that is not something that you have. But we looked it up and that is something that completely happens in men. So yeah. not as common as it is in women, for sure. Yeah. But yeah, uh, and and I really didn't know that I was going to receive that type of backlash when I put that that video out there mm-hmm. i was trying to be as honest and transparent and vulnerable to say hey like bring light to something yeah that... this is what i'm going through right now and i i think i even think i said something like most people think that ppd is only it can, can only you know people that experience ppd are it's only in women and mm-hmm. that's it's not the case mm-hmm. um granted are there different um symptoms and things that, that every individual goes through, whether you're male or female, absolutely. And, and there are things that women go through that I did not go through. Like I didn't go, I didn't have all the, the hormonal changes. I did, my hair, you know, obviously, you know, did not fall out. Like there's things that, yes, I don't try and claim the, that those things happened to me, but the depression, the anxiety, the, um, the crying and, and the fatigue and the sleep depression, like all of that is still part of PPD. And to I think say, it's just important to also like, <laughs> when you experience a disorder of some kind or, or, or you know, something that um, something like PPD, you can experience some of the symptoms, but you don't have to experience all of them. And everybody experiences some of these things in different ways. Mm-hmm. Like even with um, male, female heart attacks, the symptoms are very different. It can be from a female experiencing a heart attack to a male experiencing a heart attack. And it's important to just note that, different people experience different things in different mm-hmm. ways. So just yeah. because you're experiencing part of the symptoms, but you're not experiencing other parts of the symptoms does not diminish the fact that you're still experiencing it. I think. Yeah. Well, and I think it's important to 
um, to like recognize that you didn't just make up that men like experience this, right? So no. the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders uh, defines depression with peripartum onset as a major depressive episode during pregnancy or within four weeks after parturition. The actual DSM diagnosis of depression doesn't always fit how men experience depression. For men, symptoms may include frustration, agitation, irritability, an increase in dopamine boost in activities like drinking drugs or gambling, and isolation. Um, and this is like well documented within like medical literature. It's not something that Brian said, I'm depressed, I must have postpartum depression, right? Yeah. Like, <laughs> I think that's what maybe where people don't necessarily do a little tiny bit of research yeah. to be like, oh, he probably just made this up. Like, he's not a woman. He doesn't know. Yeah. So. But it is interesting because, like, it's not, I mean, it's, it's a different kind of situation that we're talking about still because this is after the process of surrogacy. It's not, like, the process of you being the husband to a wife who gave birth. Mm -hmm. So how is it still similar to experience postpartum depression in the sense of somebody who went through surrogacy and now has babies. Yeah. I mean, it's the same thing goes for um, parents who, who adopt, who adopt newborns. I mean, there's that from that video, I think we got, Oh my God, like 4,000 comments on it um, from all, all different sides. Um, and so many people were fighting the argument of saying, so you're saying because he didn't give birth specifically to his baby, you're saying parents, moms, dads that have adopted, um, straight couples who have gone through IVF and had to utilize surrogacy as well, who didn't physically give birth to their baby, that that mom or that father can experience those same things. Right. Um, and obviously when someone says that, they don't comment back. <laughs> um, but then we also had um, a lot of positive, and, and which is why I, I, to this day, I'm still very happy that I, ha I, I didn't delete the video because I, I almost got so close because I was getting so much hate every day on that video. Um, there was still a, a, a decent amount of positive comments from um, moms, wives who have said, thank you for sharing this. My husband went through what you're going through and society, you know, doesn't show that men are weak, that they cry, that they can go through those types of um, experiences, symptoms, and feelings, you know, by having children mm -hmm. um, or after having children. Um, they love that I brought light to that and love that I, that I said it can, it, it is possible and it makes them feel maybe a little bit more valid and seen. Um, and, and then helps to like deconstruct the stigma around like women are emotional and men aren't, you know, it's mm -hmm. like, exactly. No, we, we're very emotional emotions and like, maybe like, we just try and like, like I'm a cancer. I'm very down. sensitive. I'm very emotional. So yeah. Yeah. And it's like, <laughs> And I think, you know, men try and say that about women sometimes. You're like, oh, they're so emotional. It's like, no, so are you. Yeah, like, exactly. You are too. You just, you just show it you just Yeah, you just harbor like, it or you don't show it at all because you don't feel like society exactly. allows you to because it makes you weak or it makes you... Yeah, we're you know, all humans. Like, we yeah. all have very similar, like, ways that things affect us. And we all have the same amount of, like, neurotransmitters that, like, fire out of our brain. Like, our brains are all built very similarly, mm -hmm. so... And I think it's just very understandable to develop anxiety or depression post-birth because of all those changes that occur. Like, mm -hmm. that's, I think, what I go back to, back in my mind, thinking about, like, oh, my God, that's such a big challenge. It could be the hardest thing that you've ever done in your life, like, going from an independent adult to to 
raising two kids at the same time and not saying that that is exactly how life is all the time after that point but Mm -hmm. just making that adjustment in the initial period um and i just looked up some (laughs) symptoms of sleep deprivation because i think that could be a big part of it when you take sleep away from somebody for sure you're at a much higher risk of emotional instability and developing depression or anxiety so um, symptoms of sleep deprivation include slowed thinking, reduced attention span, worsened <laughs> memory. We talked about that. And memories and terrible. poor or risky decision making and lack of energy, mood changes, emotional instability, irritability, anxiety, stress, depression. Like there's, mm-hmm. it's all there. I don't know. It, there's a clear connection in it. Mm-hmm. So just being cognizant of that moving into where we're going to future parenthood hopefully fingers crossed everything works out Mm -hmm. that we need to kind of do the homework and 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 prepare ourselves yeah and 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 you can prepare all you want but uh, because again it's not happening because again control freak i we and and chris obviously is very organized and so we wanted to get as much done and prepare as as much as we could amazing job i mean like you. you had so many things of like okay, we're getting this ready and this is our nursery mm-hmm. and we have all these things kind of like set up. And I was like, oh my God, they're like on the ball. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah, y'all seem like you have it put together. Yeah. I mean, I will. I'm I, taking notes. <laughs> I'm, I don't mean to like toot my own horn, but I do feel like the yeah. things, toot, toot. Toot, toot. I think the things that Chris and I did, did um, complete and, and take care of prior to them arriving did indeed help for sure. I'm not saying that, but once they're here, all of that preparation could go out the window because your child is its own individual being. And right, even right, though right. they're twins or if you have a singleton, they're, they're going to let you know what makes them happy, what all of their, their quirks <laughs> and, and everything. And you just have to kind of roll with it. And, mm-hmm. but that's also what's beautiful about it because at the same time you're, you're learning from them and you're changing from being a husband, you know, person with no kids to then becoming a father and it just like people say the whole like you don't know love until you have love for a child like i i didn't no one really knows what that means until you have it and obviously yes there is that different love but um it changes you for in a, in a good way um things that used to be really important to chris and i are not so important anymore hmm. you know like i obviously like to keep the house as tidy as possible but um, there are some days where it's just like pfft, it can just it that can just stay and, and uh, that can be handled this weekend. I don't have the energy. I don't have the time. I don't care because my time is now with, with them. So you're telling us that even, even with all of the difficulties of making this adjustment, it's still worth it? Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> Were you doubting it? No, but I just it, wanted to hear. Absolutely. Hear it, from- is, <laughs> it is. It will be the biggest life-changing experience you'll, you'll, you'll have. Obviously, mm-hmm. up until you know, you starting your journey, you're getting married was probably your biggest, you know, most exciting, life changing experience. Yeah, it's all right. Yeah, it's all right. <laughs> um, I'm kidding. Um, but then when, if and when a couple decides that they want to have um, a family, um, that is a, a, a big, big, if not, like I said, the biggest life changing experience. But I will say, um, along with like mental health and, 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 and balancing life, you also can't forget about your husband, your wife, your mm-hmm. spouse. Like, mm-hmm. yes, the children are probably, your kids are probably the number one thing, most important thing in your life. However, your relationship with your spouse is just as important because um, you want to make sure that y- the two of you are 
communicating and that you're on the same page and that you support one another and that both of you still feel connected and loved to be able to provide that positive relationship to your kids and to be able to show them what love, what a family, you know, looks like. Um, and a lot of people like always say like, oh no, like my husband and I, like we haven't gone on a date for months. Um, we haven't had sex in over a year because it's just not a priority. And, and, and every, again, every couple is different. Um, and in the beginning, absolutely. A lot of that stuff just goes out the window because you're just so bombarded with everything going on with, with bringing home your newborns. But at the end of the day, in order, at least in our opinion, in order to have a, a successful marriage and to to be the best family that you can be, you need to make sure that you also take care of not only yourself, but that you also take the time to spend um, quality time with your with your person because mm-hmm. they were they were there with you from the beginning, and and you need to make sure that you still have that that partnership and level of understanding. Okay, so I know that we have talked a lot about the mental health and just like kind of getting through it when babies come and how do you change as a person and how do you really like take that in stride. Um and also just paying attention to hello, it's a great thing. It's a life-changing thing and <laughs> it's it's good. Like overall it's good. It's not a, like you've you're not coming here being like, uh, having babies is horrible. It's like, this is, this has been amazing and it's changed your life forever. Even on your, on the hardest day, you look at them and you're like, I wouldn't change this for anything. I, <laughs> I wouldn't, I wouldn't. And there were, there were several hard days where you're just like so defeated. And so like, I, like, I don't know if I can continue doing this the way we're doing it. Um, And then you just see them and it just doesn't all go away, but it just gives you that reassurance of like, they're looking at you even though, even though they're sleeping and they have a little grin and you're like, daddy, you're, you're doing something right. You're doing good. We're here. You know, reassuring. I love that. Yeah. Um, So wrapping up, what tips and tricks would you give other prospective parents or new parents? Or parents, prospective parents sitting on this couch (laughs) like us. For um for us, I can't stress enough the routine for for Brecken and London and for Chris and I like has been game changer for us. Obviously, in the very beginning stages, um, you're still kind of working out all the kinks and what works and what doesn't work. But once you find out what does work, um, stick to it. You know, we've been very fortunate and very blessed to have two babies that sleep very well. And I know every baby is different. I I, I see people commenting on our videos and they're like, how do you let, how do you like make the, make them go down for a nap and they just fall asleep and they don't scream for hours on end? Or how do you make them sleep, you know, two and a half hours? Mine only sleeps 30 minutes. Like again, every situation is different, but we, we did um, speak with a, a sleep train expert to help us with our routine. Mm-hmm. Um, we actually did a, a partnership with four moms and they introduced us to a sleep train expert. She was wonderful. Um, and just kind of keeping on the, like, you know, what is it? The the myths of like never wake a sleeping baby. For twins, I feel like it's different because if you have a single, yeah, if they're sleeping longer, the 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 baby will wake up when they're hungry. They're not gonna like sleep and 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 not <laughs> not want to get fed. But with twins, if you with this with the feeding schedule, if you only wake up, if only one wakes up, and you wake that one up to feed, 
and then you put that one down and say the next one wakes up 45 minutes later, you're always going to be doing something and you're never going to have, even if you don't sleep, you're never going to have just that time to just reset and and rest and and maybe sleep if you can. So we were always um, very, very um, adamant about like, you know what, their next feeding is at 10. They're both sleeping or one might be stirring. We wake both of them up. Mm-hmm. And, and so many people were like, what? Why would you do that? And and it's just it's just to get them on that same schedule. Wow, we yeah. wake them up. Your brother's hungry. You're hungry. We're going to feed totally you. It totally makes sense. Mm-hmm. Feed you. We're going to burp you, change you. We put you down at the same time. And and we just did that every single day based on the amount of time that we had to wait in between feedings. And it was a game changer. Um, mm-hmm. We did the cry it out method, which I know is a very sensitive topic. Some people are like, how could you let your baby scream? I'm like, for, you know however long you let them. You're like, they're always screaming. They're always <laughs> screaming. And, and people think, like, you let your baby scream for hours on end. No. no. Like, no. There, there are How long do you let them levels. scream? <laughs> the longest I think we ever let the baby, Brecken or London, I want to say when they were younger, Brecken was more sensitive and more fussy. I think Brecken screamed for, like, screamed, yelled, cried, maybe 30, 35 minutes. Okay. Which, okay. It, it, in the grand scheme of things, it I mean, doesn't seem that... I've done that, that before. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't seem that long, but it is, like, the longest... <laughs> Thirty does that every night. <laughs> oh, stop! I've heard every single night he cries himself <laughs> yeah, to sleep. No. <laughs> oh my god! This is so unfair. <laughs> He's like, "Good night, everybody. I have to go cry." I'm for... feeling attacked. No. I don't know why people ask if I have any parenting um, history. I'm like, "Do you not see yeah. this baby this right baby here, right here that I am the OG raising?" <laughs> So yes, make sure to follow Brian and Chris on Instagram and it's Brian and Chris on TikTok for all the parenting tips and tricks. And as always, if you want to see what we're up to on the day to day, make sure to follow us on TikTok and Instagram. Um, yes, for all the exciting things. And also leave us a review. It's super helpful. Yes, please. Five stars. Five stars. So please. Other prospective parents or parents or yes. people who are interested in parenthood can find us. And Share this with all of your friends. Yes, definitely. Um, I just thank you so much for coming here and being so vulnerable and sharing just like what it was like going from a parent of zero to a parent of two very quickly Uh. and just how you navigated that. I think that's a really important topic and something that I was interested to know more about because it's often been a question in the back of my mind. Like, how am I ever going to get through that when it comes up? You can do it. I hope so. I believe in both of you. (laughs) And we will be calling you when... The babies are like three weeks old and we're like, please, you didn't prepare us. Please for do. <laughs> I'm serious. I, I'm more than happy to give any advice that is yes. obviously requested. I'm I'll not going to be like, calling, you're doing it wrong. No. I will call you <laughs> no. crying from the kitchen floor. We're no. just going to be like, you're going to, you're going to, you just need to fly up. We need a break. Like you've done this before. We trust I would, you. Seriously. I <laughs> would totally be willing to do that. We actually had a, um, you're going to be careful because this is recorded. Yeah, this so is, this is recorded. Promise. You have my word. You have evidence. Ooh. Seriously. I mean, don't be gone for a week. But if it's like a night or two, or if it's just a date night thing. Three nights? Four nights? Three nights. Three nights. Max? Three yeah, nights. yeah. Okay. I mean, because it's just for the flight and everything. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Three nights, Brian and Chris are babysitting for me. It might just be me. It's on record. I don't know if Chris can go, because Chris, someone will have to hold on the fort for the babes. If they're old enough, the then maybe we'll just bring too. them up. Yeah, they can <laughs> help. London, London will want to just help rock the babes. Oh, that'd be so great. <laughs> Um, well, we are excited to spend uh, the rest of, you know, the time that we have here in Portland together. I know. And it's so beautiful. Thank you for being our first in-person guest. We brought, you brought honored. the sunshine from San Diego. I did. Up. Stay, stay. Uh, and we're probably just going to go enjoy it now. Yes. Thank you so much for listening to Who's Your Daddy podcast. 
And until next time, Daddy's, Daddy's out. out. <laughs> Wait, do you want to do it with us? Because you you're an me? actual Sure, that would be so fun. Thanks again for listening to the Who's Your Daddy podcast. Until next time, Daddy's, Daddy's out. out. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.